everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining in with us today. So today is session 10, and we're continuing our study in the book of Daniel. We'll be discussing chapter 6, verses 1 through 15 today. Now, as you know, chapter 6 is about Daniel in the lion's den. But that's not the only valuable lesson in this chapter. As a matter of fact, there's so much to be learned from this chapter that today we're only going to study verses 1 through 15. And so next time we're going to discuss Daniel's encounter with the lions in verses 16 through 28. Now, last session, as you remember, we discussed the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire and the death of Babylon's last king, Belshazzar. God's judgment came to King Belshazzar in the form of a hand writing on his palace wall during a grand feast he was having. And when none of the king's wise men could interpret the mysterious inscription, the queen reminded the king about Daniel and his wisdom and knowledge to, and his abilities of interpreting dreams and solving riddles. And even though the king seemed to have no recollection of Daniel, he brought him in and offered him the position of third ruler in the kingdom if he could read the inscription and interpret it. But frankly, Daniel had no interest in what the king was offering. He said in verse 17, you can keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. You see, for Daniel, it wasn't about the recognition. It was about obeying God. But let's be honest. I mean, obeying God isn't always fun, is it? I don't think Daniel was having much fun in that moment. I mean, he's given the task of proclaiming God's judgment to a man who knew the truths of God and knowingly rejected him. As Christians, we may sometimes be called by God to things that we may not enjoy at the time, like turning the other cheek, loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you. But it was because Daniel obeyed God despite how distasteful that he was promoted by the king of Babylon to third ruler in the kingdom. And now that Babylon has been defeated by the Medes and Persians here in chapter 6, Daniel is still among the new king's appointed administrators. You see, his obedience to God put him in the right position to receive the blessings of God. So let's continue to read about Daniel's life during the reign of a new Medo-Persian empire in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Okay, so who was King Darius? Now, the reason that I mention this is because of what it says in verse 28. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So who was the true king, Darius or Cyrus? 
because history tells us that Babylon was conquered by Cyrus the Great. Yet in the last verse of chapter 5, it says that Darius the Mede received the kingdom at age 62. Now, scholars put forth several theories as to who Darius is. One is that Darius and Cyrus are the same person. It was not uncommon for kings to be known by different names in different parts of their realm. Another option is that Darius was made king over the area of Babylon, while Cyrus was a supreme ruler of the entire Persian Empire. Much like Herod was appointed, by the, king, was appointed the king of Judea by Caesar, who was the supreme ruler of the Roman Empire. Now, while it would be very easy to get bogged down with the details here, we must focus on the big picture. Whatever place Darius filled in history, he was a real person who had absolute authority in the territory that was once Babylon, and he had a significant role in Daniel's life. And his first role was to recognize Daniel's exceptional abilities and to promote him to a position over the whole realm. I mean, the text says specifically that Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. Although he is recognized for his natural abilities, most of his success is attributed to God. Daniel used his God-given abilities to the utmost. So can the same be said for us? Are we using our gifts and abilities in such a way that the Spirit of God shines through? Can others see the extraordinary Spirit of God in us? So after the king reorganized this newly conquered territory, the new leaders, the satraps, governors, and administrators became jealous of Daniel and his position. Because remember, Daniel was a Jewish exile, and he has power over them now. Proverbs 27.4 says, Fury is cruel, and anger is a flood, but who can withstand jealousy? And as we all know, jealousy demands action. So they tried to find a charge to bring against him, but they couldn't find anything. Their only recourse was to find something against him concerning the law of his God. The only way they thought they could trip Daniel up was by attacking his faith, his godly character. The book of 1 Peter talks about the importance of living such good and proper lives before unbelievers that they may glorify God themselves one day. The way Daniel conducted himself and did business drew attention to his God. The inner character of his heart and soul came out in his daily life and in the workplace. But why did the charge against him have to do with the law of his God? I mean, why that? Why was that the only way to trip him up? Well, because the administrators knew that Daniel would not falter in his devotion to Darius but he also would not falter in his devotion to God. And if those two things ever came at odds with each other, Daniel would side with God's law. So again, I ask the question, does our behavior reflect our devotion to God? Do we allow our faith and relationship with Jesus to permeate our other relationships and our conduct? So in verses 6 through 8, the administrators and satraps devised a plan. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. 
all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for thirty days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. So notice that the administrators went as a group to the king. Now throughout this entire chapter, we're going to find that they did everything as a group. I mean, maybe they were thinking strength in numbers, but not one person had the courage to stand alone before King Darius. But Daniel, he will stand alone and with incredible courage because he walked with God. God was with him. So how did the administrators convince Darius to agree to this new edict? Well, first, they came as a united front. We have all agreed, they said. But have they all agreed? I mean, Darius didn't seem to notice that a particularly noteworthy leader was conspicuously absent from this gathering. And secondly, they appealed to Darius's pride by using lies and false flattery. And in verse 7, we see how vicious their motives were. I mean, not just throw into prison anyone who violated the law, but a torturous death in a lion's den. I mean, do you see what jealousy and pride can do to people? They didn't just want to remove Daniel from office. They wanted to kill him. I mean, they were willing to commit murder to protect their status. That's what unchecked pride and jealousy can cause. As opposed to Psalm 139, 23 and 24, which says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. This should be our prayer, and this should be our goal every day. And, of course, Darius fell for their schemes. And in verses 10 through 15, we read, When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room were open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you. The king and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased, and he set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. So how did Daniel respond to this new law? He got down on his knees and prayed. Is there any better example of how to handle a crisis than this? 
I mean, upon carrying of the edict, Daniel could have run to the king and pleaded his case. I mean, he was over the whole realm. He had the king's ear, but he didn't. And I think he chose rather to do what it says in 1 Peter 2.23 concerning Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Daniel was being judged unjustly, yet he trusted God more. His trust in God was greater than his circumstances. And even in a crisis situation, Daniel still gave thanks to God. And he prayed with his window open toward Jerusalem, which is where the temple of God was located. 1 Kings 8, 29 and 30 says, May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place where you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the petition of your servant and your people Israel, which they pray toward this place. May you hear from heaven and forgive. So, praying while facing Jerusalem symbolized praying before Yahweh. The text also says that this is what Daniel did always. This is what Daniel had always done. You see, crisis didn't cause him to change his routine. He did what he knew to do in that moment. And that's the greatest advice anyone could ever get. I mean, if you don't know what to do, pray. I think when we face situations that turn our lives upside down, our knee-jerk reaction is to move or change. Go somewhere else. Change your routine. God must be telling me to do something different. Change jobs or change churches. And sometimes that's the case, but sometimes God wants us to just stay where we are and wait and pray and allow him to work. Was it God's intention to move Daniel from this situation? No, God intended for him to go through it. But we're going to see that greater glory will be given to God because Daniel went through it rather than being spared from it. You may be glorifying God more right in the midst of your difficulty than you ever could away from it. And even though Daniel, I'm sure, was incredibly busy being over the whole realm, he still made time to pray three times a day. He made prayer a priority. As one scholar puts it, just as we make time to feed our bodies three times a day, we should also make time to feed our souls. It's possible Daniel was following the example set by David in Psalm 55 who also sought the Lord in prayer three times a day. You see, Daniel knew that the foundation of his relationship with God was built upon a healthy and consistent prayer life. And it begs the question, how important to us is our prayer life? I mean, we'd never go days without talking to our co-workers, would we? Yet we can sometimes go for days without talking to the one who made us the one who gave up, gave up his life to save us. I mean, Jesus knows everything there is to know about ourselves, about our world, and the people around us. So why are we not availing ourselves of such valuable wisdom? It's good for us. And frankly, he deserves our praise and thanksgiving.
So in verse 11, we see that all the administrators again went as a group and found Daniel praying. Not only was Daniel consistent and intentional in his prayer life, but he also didn't try to hide it. And Matthew Henry brings up an interesting point about this. He said, Daniel could have just stopped praying for the 30 days, or he could have just prayed with his window cl- windows closed for the 30 days. But he says that if Daniel had done that, it might have been thought of by his friends and enemies that he gave up for a time because of cowardice and fear, which would have dishonored God and discouraged his friends. And I think that's a point worth considering. I mean, no doubt Daniel knew that he was the target of this new law. And I think he also knew that because of that, people would be watching him and his reaction. And so the fact that he responded by doing what he always had done, pray, speaks volumes about his character and loyalty to his God. So, When the administrators saw Daniel disobeying the decree, they all went, yep, you guessed it, as a group and reported it to the king. I mean, how many times have we read the phrase as a group in this passage? Sin loves company and mob mentality takes over. Wrong becomes right. Foolishness is seen as wisdom. I mean, they wasted no time getting this news to the king. How excited they must have been to know that their plot was working just as they had planned. And their jealousy for Daniel is really becomes evident when they referred to him as one of the Judean exiles, an ethnic distinction intended as an insult. Now, when King Darius heard of Daniel's actions, rather than being furious at his lack of regard for the law, he saw something in Daniel worth saving and tried to rescue him. Now, you might be thinking, well, he's the king. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. But not in the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Once an edict was signed, it could never be repealed, even by the king himself. So even Darius was bound by his own law. But I mean, why would Darius even want to save Daniel? Well, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Jesus before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18. Pontius Pilate questioned Jesus and found no basis for the charges against him and tried to release him. But who did the Jews want released instead? Barabbas, a murderer. Incidentally, the Jewish leaders, they also came as a group to Pilate when they accused Jesus. So what did Darius see in Daniel that prompted his desire to release him? Well, we're going to end today back where we began. In verse 3, Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. Twice in this book, Daniel is characterized as having an extraordinary spirit. Here and in chapter 5, verse 12. So what does it mean to have an extraordinary spirit? Well, one commentator describes it this way. Daniel was filled with the Holy Spirit as well as a human spirit that was saturated with the principles of divine scripture. Another scholar says the wonderful and extraordinary operations of the spirit were manifested in him, end quote. Daniel was so filled with the Holy Spirit and so filled with the word of God that they just came out. They shaped how he thought, 
what he said, and how he conducted himself. And just as I said at the beginning of our study, the Spirit is available to everyone who believes and confesses Jesus as Lord of their life. And so our challenge for today is to not quench the Holy Spirit in our lives, but instead follow the example of Daniel and live in such a way that others will see the extraordinary spirit of the living God within us. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.